Welcome to our neighbors. Uh, I'm glad to be with you. Um, I discovered at the end of the service last week that we were halfway through November. And so uh, as surprising as I was, I would like to inform you, if you did not yet know, that this week is Thanksgiving. We are almost at the end of the year. All right. Anybody else spinning a little bit? Is it just me? Okay, cool. Um, we're going into a season starting this week um, and where we're going to be focused in on some certain holiday celebrations. So um, I don't know if you feel any kind of pressure around the holiday time, uh, any kind of, um, I, I don't have a better word for it, any kind of pressure, any kind of tension in um, getting together with families or, or, or uh, putting together meals or things like that. Like there's an external pressure of the, we have to do these things. We have to be in the right places. We have to attend the things, right? We have to actually go and show up and be there, which is sometimes just hard in and of itself. But not only do we have to attend, we also have to be present, right? We, it's not just our attendance, but it's also our, our appearance. Like, do, do I look like I want to be here or does everybody know that I'd really just rather be at home napping, right? Yeah. Okay. Just me. Cool. All right. <clears throat> Um, and then there are, as we move towards uh, the Christmas season, there's also not only the uh, attendance and the appearance, but also we have to bring something to present. We have to bring a gift of some kind or other, which is my like kryptonite. I am terrible. I feel like I'm terrible at giving gifts. And I'm so thankful for my wife who just is so insightful and gives great gifts. Um, she covers a multitude of my sins all the time. Um, but we've got, we've, we're in this season, like we're getting ready, like as I'm walking through, I can see you guys dawning, like, oh yeah, we are moving into that, oh yeah, oh yeah. And there's going to be all this pressure for us over the next couple of weeks to be focused on things that are outside of us. We're going to be focused on um, where we are and, and what we're wearing and what we're bringing and whether or not we're smiling, and I just would like to stop smiling now, thanks. Um, all these external pressures. And so as we go into that season, um, I think we feel a tension with that sometimes. Um, we know that life is more than just what we put on the outside and what we act like on the outside. And there's something in us that experiences sometimes in the holiday season a, a, a sense of joy. Like some of the most beautiful parts of the holiday season are a sense of, of joy. And that's something that's inside that no matter what wrapping paper we put on it, like there's something inside of us that can experience a profound joy, right? And that's a beautiful reflection of, of the good gifts of God because we were made by God to be like him. Uh, the Bible will say that we were created in his image. And so uh, as humanity, we're, we're imbued with this certain dignity and this certain ability to really enjoy creation. Uh, do you realize God made taste buds? Amen? Yeah, all right, cool. Because God could be our provider and our sustainer sans taste buds, right? He could give us food and nourishment without any of it having flavor. And yet... God shows his grace to us in that we can enjoy pumpkin pie. Mm. If this was a Baptist church, I know we'd have some hallelujahs, but that's okay. I understand. It's okay. 
But that external focus, we also will sometimes feel a, dis a dissatisfaction and a darkness too. There's a hollowness when we just show up and we just put on the show. And that's related to the image of God as well. There's something, there's something deeper in us. There's a, a drive to perform and we feel the, uh, the tension that we have sometimes with our inability to do so. Uh, we know that we could have passed that test. We know that we could have made that grade, but our academic performance doesn't necessarily match up with our abilities, students. We know that like the daily grind of going to work, that, that there's, there's just something about we just got to grind it out. We got to be focused. We got to whatever. But we also know that we sometimes just lack the discipline to show up and perform the way that we feel like we're supposed to perform. And then for some of us, I'm not looking at you, Matt. For some of us, there's the frustration that our body is no longer cooperating, that, that aging, that aging is, uh, is putting some tension into what, our, what we knew our abilities could be at prior Thanksgiving basketball games against the kids and what we now are experiencing as our current reality. We are not who we imagine ourselves to be sometimes. We're going to go together in a series over the next couple of weeks, and we're going to look at what's underneath the surface. Jesus invites us deeper than just the surface expressions of holidays. Though there's goodness in it, though there's joy, Jesus invites us to go deeper, and he reminds us that he crafted us with a soul and that we neglect that to our detriment. We put ourselves in danger when we forget that we have a soul. So uh, let's look inward, and I'd invite you, uh, if you've got a Bible, to, to navigate to Matthew chapter 6, the book of Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to have to do that myself. And if you're using these blue Bibles that are tucked under the chairs in front of you, it's on page 1012, 1012, Matthew chapter 6. And as I see that we are getting there, I'll invite you to pause before you read ahead. And let's go to our Father this, mo this morning in prayer. Uh, it's our habit together to pray the disciples' prayer. It's not magic words. We'll get into all that actually in this series specifically. Um, but it is the model that Jesus left for us to pray. And so I'd invite you to pray together with me. The words are on the screen. Um, you can pray out loud if you'd like to. But at the very least, let's bow our hearts together. And let's go to him. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Jesus is speaking. He says these words, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees you in secret, will reward you. We'll pause there. Um, probably have enough to, to cover here. Um, we have been, if you've been in Neighborhood Church for the last couple of weeks, we have been reading a letter to a group of people called the Ephesians. And so um, oftentimes we, I, I would make the statement, we're jumping into the middle of a letter here and we're reading somebody else's mail. What we're doing here this morning is not jumping into a letter, but we're actually jumping into the middle of a biography. The book of Matthew is a biography written about Jesus and his life and trying to introduce people to him by telling the story of his life. And and the section that we're in right now is a section that many church people will call the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably the long, or it is the longest sermon that we have of Jesus recorded. It starts in chapter 5. And it goes all the way to chapter 7, three chapters of sermon. And so we're not dropping in the middle of a letter, we're dropping in the middle of a sermon. Um, And Jesus is a better preacher than me, so he can say it in three chapters. But I've actually, we've been working on this for, uh, this will be the 12th week that we've been working through, actually, the Sermon on the Mount together. Um, If you were connected with us earlier in the year, we did two, not one, but two sermon series called What If Jesus Was Serious?, Um, And both of those, we were taking apart Matthew chapter 5, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. And those are on our YouTube page. They're on our website, our podcast. If you would like to catch up on those, I'm going to not re-preach those, um, but they're there if you'd like to go back. Um, The the sermon is built on the reading that we did together this morning out of of chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. He starts by painting a picture of what the blessed life is. What does a life, what is a person who is blessed, what does their life actually look like? And it's not a picture that we would paint for ourselves. Because we might say, you know, blessed is the one who uh, is, is really, really wealthy. And blessed is the one who has their act together and who can manage themselves. And, and blessed is the one that their employers do what you told them, or their employees do what you told them to do. Like, that's the person who's blessed. And he says, no, blessed are the uh, poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are bankrupt in their soul, and they know that they have nothing to give to God. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, who purposefully enter into a conflict in order to bring opposing parties to peace together. Blessed are those people. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. And we're thinking, maybe I don't know what a gift from God would look like if it smacked me in the face. His second part of the sermon, uh, after he tells you what the blessed life is, he says, look, you guys have heard a lot of different things. This is how people have read and interpreted the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament up until this point. But I was there when it was written. It kind of came out of my mouth. So let me tell you what I meant by what I said. You have distorted it in this way, but let me tell you what I meant. You have heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you've already committed adultery with her. And we go, and I did not realize that the, the standard was so high, what hope do we have? He even closes that chapter by saying, or not that, he doesn't close that chapter, but he even closes a section in there that says, unless you are more righteous than the most righteous person that you know, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. We go, well, I guess I'm stuck here. Except he says that I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And you will find that following me will actually lead you to life. 
So now, in chapter 6, we get to the text. Now, he turns his attention to some warnings. Beware. Um, if, you put a, uh, if, you, if you are walking in the woods and you're alone and you see a sign that says, Beware, how does your brain interpret that? Yeah, just be on guard. Now, I've been hiking a number of times, and you know, as you're walking into the trail, they're like, oh, beware of bears, don't go by yourself. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then that like sign means something at the trailhead where you're right next to your car. It means something different when you're you know, a mile and a half down the trail and you smell something musky and there's something moving the palmettos around. And you're like, I don't know that I should be out here alone. Maybe I should have paid attention. So Jesus now turns our attention. He says, hey, beware. There's something that you're going to be likely to think you don't need to be concerned about, but I'm telling you ahead of time, this is going to be a problem for you. We're at the trailhead. We're in church on a Sunday morning. We're like, okay, Jesus, whatever it is, whatever you say, that's cool. But when we get a mile down the trail and we start to hear this beast in the forest that's trying to get us, who's crouching at the door and his desire is for us, then we might want to pay attention. What is, what is the danger Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. We're at risk. Our natural bent is to be more concerned about the people we can see than the one that we can't. So what's interesting about this is he says, okay, I want you to be careful of practicing your righteousness. I want you to be careful of doing good things in front of other people. Um, And so when you give money to the poor, like it's interesting, Jesus does not make any kind of an argument that people who are following him are going to be generous to people who are in a bad spot. Like he doesn't even, he doesn't even, try to convince you of that. He just assumes that if you're following me, you're going to hold God's gifts with open hands. You're going to be generous to the people. So when you are generous, when you are holding God's gifts to people that haven't received them yet from you, from God through you, perhaps, um, don't draw attention to yourself. Don't. What's the issue? In order to be seen by them. Who do we practice our faith for? Who do we want to see us being good? I grew up in a, a, a Christian home, and so the expectations were, were pretty were pretty clear. I knew what I was supposed to do. It was actually pretty easy. Like you, you could get by in youth group. Like all you had to do is not cuss very much on Wednesday night and you were pretty much good. Like if you sit and pay attention, you don't cuss, like you'd probably be like put into youth leadership, right? <clears throat> but, it did, but what did that do? In, like what did my heart want to do on like Thursday morning at the bus stop? when the younger kids are being obnoxious and I can just drop an elbow on their shoulder and we can be done with this conversation. There was a time where uh, 
I got called into the principal and, and had to explain to my mother why I'm screaming profanities down the street at this little kid that I had just beat up because he was just being a punk or whatever. And she's like, what? Who are you? You're, I have to ground you from church because that's the only place you want to be. Like, like, who are you, like what are you doing at church? And what, why is it not translating to the, the bus stop? Who do we practice our faith for? I had this really pretty girl at youth group and she thought I was pretty cool. But she didn't ride my bus. He doesn't say that there is no reward in doing what's right in front of people. Like he says, there is a reward. There is an applause. Like people will think better of you if you do good. Like we know that. Like if, I, if you guys saw me punch the kid in the nose, then you'd be like, man, Mike's got some problems. But if you saw me like, you know, defend him or, or speak well of him or something, oh, Mike's a pretty good guy. Like that's cool. Like there is a reward in doing good things in front of other people. But what's the duration of the reward? How long does the applause last? I think people are thinking of me a lot more than people are actually thinking of me. Oftentimes people see them and they're like, oh, cool, all right, moving on with my life. I got things to do. Because they're thinking about them. I like to think that all of you guys like go home and you just are, I can't believe Michael said that. Like I just, I'm so challenged. Blah, blah, blah. And most of you guys are just like, when's lunch? Who do we practice our faith for? Here's, here's our, our big idea. Um, our pride can short circuit the gift of serving like Jesus. Our pride can short circuit the gift of serving like Jesus. He said, hey, look, there's a warning here. You can serve like me and, and, and receive a gift, but there's a way that you can be serving like me and short circuit what I'm actually trying to do in your heart. You can do what's right for the wrong reasons, and it will be wrong for you. There's a difficulty in kind of spending any significant amount of time thinking about this text. I was talking, I was talking with Ryan. I said, we just got out of Ephesians where I felt like I just had too many verses to talk through every week. And now we're back in, in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm like, we have too few verses to talk about. Like, I just want to hide. Like, because we only have four verses to talk about, we have to talk about the, the depth of this. We have to talk about the heart issue and what's going on in us. And the thing that I know, or the thing that I suspect, I suspect that you are like me and that as soon as I say something, you've thought of six or seven ways you can excuse yourself from the behavior or the attitude. That's how, that's how I listen to sermons. I, I'm, so as we talk through this, we're like, oh yeah, well, I don't, I don't really do it that way. That's not really talking about me. Like I don't really have to, don't really have to deal with that issue. And, and I think that if we sit with Jesus at all, we have to wrestle down what's going on inside of our heart. Now for us, it's been months since we've talked about this passage, but for the audience that he's talking to, he actually just finished saying something in chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. I'm going to draw your attention there. I want you to read this because there's a tension here that we have not yet felt, um, but it's going to help us to clarify some heart issues. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You, talking to his disciples, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's 
Like, okay, cool. Like, are we supposed to do good things in front of people or are we supposed to hide things? Are we supposed to be a city set on a hill? Are we supposed to not let our right hand know what our left hand is doing? Like, where, like, what are we supposed to do? And I think it just depends on what the Spirit's doing in your heart in the moment. There's a fear that we carry that, like, people are are not going to buy into Jesus because they'll see my frailty. And so we neglect to shine our light. And there's also an arrogance which says, people are definitely going to buy into Jesus because I got it together. And that's, that's not it either. But our heart is so slippery. It's like nailing jello to a wall. Like as soon as you think you got it in place, it moves and it, and it shifts. It's like, I don't know what, it, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. If you need some comfort in that, then perhaps Romans 7 We'll bring some of that. Paul, the great apostle, talks a lot about this tension within himself too. So do we practice in front of other people or no? What's the heart issue? I think the heart issue is to whom we draw attention to. Let your light shine before men so that they may give glory to your Father who's in heaven. If we are practicing and we are giving credit where credit is due and shining the light on Him, then we're in the right spot. But if as we are doing what's good and doing what's right, we are shining the spotlight on ourselves and we are just soaking it up so much, we're just enjoying every minute of it, then we probably are in the wrong position. Who do we draw attention to? And who do we want others to see? Because our pride can short-circuit the gift of serving like Jesus. It all comes down to motivations. Motivations are tricky. Most of the times, I can, I'm pretty clear on, on remembering what it is that I've done. I can tell you what I did. I can't always remember why I did what I was doing because I'm not really always aware of why I do what I do. And yet that is exactly, to the, the, is exactly the space that Jesus is trying to pry into. Why are you giving that money? Are you giving that money so that you can make sure you've got the biggest brick on the, on the walk of, of fame of our donors? Is our motivation to have, have buildings named after us and is our, is our motivation to have our name etched in stone so that generations afterward will know just how good of a person I was. Or is it an acknowledgement that everything I have came from God and, and this person can use it and I can use, and me giving this gift, I can draw their attention to my Father in heaven. These motivations are buried deep and they're somewhere within the conversation of our soul. Um, I've been reading a book by John Ortberg called, uh, called Soul Keeping. It's been really helpful for me. It's been really challenging for me. Um, and it really is, what's challenging about it is it, he's, he's, <laughs> he's not actually saying things that I haven't heard before. He actually was friends with a guy named Dallas Willard who wrote a ton and was super duper smart. And I've read Dallas Willard's book about the soul twice, actually, which there are very few books that I read twice, but I've read that one twice. And I still don't even know what he said. Like, he just is so dense and so thick, and, and, and it's really difficult for me to understand. But this book uh, takes Dallas Willard's ideas and puts them in a language that I can kind of wrap my head around. 
and he uh, kind of summarizes that humanity is put together of a couple of different parts. We have a will. We have a, a will that, that is, it has this, uh, it's kind of our guiding principle. It's like, I know that I am this kind of person, and so I will make these kind of decisions. We have a will, but that will is actually more concerned with a big arc. It's more concerned with big decisions than it is about the daily minutiae of our life. It actually gets really, really tired when we use our will to make, make decisions. So sometimes it will just delegate other decisions to other parts of ourselves. We also have a mind, and our mind would probably include our emotions and our thoughts, um, just because those are intertwined in a way that I don't know how to explain it quickly to you. So our mind, uh, we've got a will, we've got a mind, and so um, our, our will will sometimes get tired and say, well, what do we feel like doing today? And then it will let the will, or it will let the mind make the decision about what we feel or what we think about a different decision. Well, then our, 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 our mind can also get weary of making those kind of decisions. So it will then delegate those things to the last part or one of the last parts, which is our body. And this is actually can be helpful to us because as those things get delegated down to our body, we form what we call habits. I don't have to think about getting dressed in the morning. I don't have to think at all about buttoning my shirt. But Myron doesn't get it yet, right? Myron has not yet formed that habit. It, his, his, his mind or his will is not delegated, has not stored that information in his body that he doesn't have to think about buttoning a shirt or tying his shoes. Like our, our body can store different decisions that we've made in the past, and that's really helpful for us. Unless we've stored things that are not helpful to us, right? Because then we've got those habits and it's hard to break out because we've got to get them out of our body back into our mind and our mind gets tired trying to overcome what our, what, our, what our body is used to doing and our will is just like, why can't you all sort this out? And your soul is the part of you that gets all three of those things to work together. Your soul is, is the force that's trying to get everybody to, to communicate and, 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 and to play on the same game. So there's times where our, our, our will, who, the kind of person we think we are, and our feelings are in conflict. And our soul tries to find ways to make, make that make sense to us. So our will says, I'm, I'm a person who eats healthy. But my feelings, my mind says, well, I really just want dessert, so I'm going to order some dessert. So my mouth says, I want some dessert. And the dessert comes, but it's, it's way more dessert than I, than I really anticipated ordering. And, and now I'm kind of embarrassed because this is a lot more dessert than I thought that I wanted. But you know I ain't going to leave any on the plate. And I'm, and I'm embarrassed with the person that I'm eating because I don't want them to think that I'm the kind of person that just eats a ton of dessert. And so my, my mind has this contradiction and my soul is like, you guys got to reconcile this. And so my mind, my, my, my emotions have made a decision and my body is now going to have to deal with the repercussions, but my mind's trying to figure out like, how do I, how do I square this decision with the kind of person that I think I am? So you look to the person you're eating lunch with and you're like, wow, they sure use small plates for their dessert, don't they? Our, our mind is trying to justify all of these things. Our soul is trying to get to a place of peace. So there's all, all kinds of ways that we can go wrong. Even, even in seeking to not let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Like, 
we can be in a situation where we're doing good and, we're, and we got our, our, our Jesus ninja suit on and we're like out here trying to do good without anybody knowing so that we get the right rewards. And we're sneaking over here and then somebody spots us. Oh no, they saw me give that person money. They're going to rob me of my rewards. Don't you tell anybody what you just saw. This stays between you and me. You better not even think better of me because you saw me. Like You better think I'm the scum of the earth because, and we'll start to talk to the person who, bro, I just, I just walk him down, like I just saw. Like, so what? Yeah, but because you saw, now, now, I, now the only reward I get is that you think kindly of me. It's like, <sighs> we begin to rationalize what we are owed. I'm doing this because I want the greater reward. And so, so if that person sees me and they, and what if they tell somebody else that I did a good thing? Like then I'm really in trouble. Like they've completely robbed me of all my rewards. And it's like the motivation there is what am I owed? And the question then comes back to who am I performing for? Am I performing for my father who will see me in secret? Or am I performing for myself because I want to get as much stuff as I possibly can? And there again, in my, in my effort to be righteous, I have short-circuited the gift of serving like Jesus. I probably spend too much time thinking about all the ways that I am jacked up, and so I won't bore you with all of those things. But it comes back to a mindset that we, we, just, we just were familiar with, and so I want, to, I want to draw our attention back to it. Um, the, at the close of Ephesians in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, he, he's making this statement of how, how workers are supposed to work for their masters. And he, but he functionally just says, like, why do, you, why do you act like Jesus isn't right there with you? Like, why are you working as if you were working for a man who can't always be over your shoulder? But we don't work for men, we work for Jesus. And in the same way, our giving is for him. There are many people who may benefit from it, but it's not for them. I may get a reward from it, but it's not for me either. Now, I don't, I get, I get super uncomfortable. I want you to have the confidence that you can read your Bible. You can read your Bible. English translations are really, really good. And you, you can walk away with the, the clear teaching of this passage without knowing anything else about it. Like you can, that's, I want you to know that you have that power. But the English Standard Version is a translation of this biography out of its original language. It was originally written in Greek. And what we have here is, is an English translation. Not Anyway, it's a direct translation from the original. Um, and what the English Standard Version did here is actually something that's not particularly helpful to us, but I want to close with this observation. You may want to put a box around in verse 1, reward, because you've got, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward. You might want to put a box around reward there. Um, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpets before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You put a box around that. So you've got a reward in verse 1, reward in verse 2. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Put a circle around that reward. You've got two words, 
that have boxes and one word that has a circle. The two box words are the same. And they mean wage, paycheck. This is what you have earned. So box, you write, write a box with wage in it in the margin there. Then around the circle, it actually just means gift. If you want what you're owed, you can get it, but it's not going to last very long. But if you want the gracious gift of your father, then we serve him, for him. And it reminds me of another, uh, of a letter, Romans chapter 6. It says, the wages of sin is death. The thing that we earn by the way that we live is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. In the same way, the wages of practicing our righteousness before other people is they think good of us. That's, a, that's not a bad thing. But the gift of God is eternal and immeasurable and greater than anything we can imagine. But do we do it for the gift? Like that's what's, that's what's sticky, isn't it? It's like, okay, well, I want that reward. I don't, want, I don't necessarily need the wages. I just want the reward. Like how do I get to the reward? And it's like, well, if you want to get the reward, you've got to get Jesus and, and serve him. It's like, well, but I want the reward. He's not what I want. He actually is what you want. You just don't know that's what you want. Like, it gets sticky. And the only confidence I have is that he says that walking in him is a gift. And he says he's with us through it. So, I want to encourage you to follow him. To consider him your greatest treasure. And to work and live and love, not for yourself, so that you can get good with God and make sure you stack up your heavenly rewards and not so that you can have other people think that you're a good person, but so that he can shower you with gifts by his presence of being with you. Presence, not present, right? Being present, opposed to getting a present, right? Okay, cool. Here's the thing. You don't need a PR department if you have character. You don't need public relations telling everybody how good you are if you just are good. And Jesus says, the simple matter is, let me work on your character, and the rest of it's going to follow. But our pride can short-circuit the gift of serving like Jesus. Let's pray together. God, our, our, um, our weakness and even understanding ourselves is baffling. We need you. We need you to give us uh, a clear picture of who we are. We need you to save us. Hosanna, God, save us from ourselves and from the ways that we even manipulate ourselves into thinking that we can earn our way to you. God, we don't come thinking that we're good enough, that we have anything to offer to you that you didn't give to us. We just come and say, I, I've got nothing, but if you want me, you can have me. We submit our hearts before you to be inspected. 
I ask for each of us that you'd shine the light where the pride is short-circuiting what you want to do in our hearts. Would you give us clarity on our motivations? God, would you rip out those parts of us that are killing us? And would you rewire us to walk in your ways? We're here for the discomfort and the awkwardness. Would you change us and shape us to be like you? Would you lead us onward into eternal life? Not just a long-lasting life, but an eternal quality, better than anything we could imagine. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.